My name is Eric, I'm one of the pastors here. I've been a pastor here since my early 20s. I came as a Southern Californian, newly married, curly-haired young man. People change, okay? People change, they mature. It's, they've become wiser. And I was blessed to get the opportunity to be a part of what God has been doing here. And so what a joy it is for me and my family to be a part of this small, this small piece of the kingdom of God. And I wanna invite you today to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter five. And we are going to step into the scriptures today. We join a new generation of people that are about to step into God, all that God has promised them, the people of Israel. We, we wanna learn from them, from their experience of God. And um, we will be blessed to hear the word of the Lord today and what a gift it is for me to impress it on your hearts. So we start in verse, um, in verse 22 of chapter five. This is a bit of a longer text, but I just wanna invite you to let God speak to you for just a few moments today. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of, his, of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all of my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules and that you will teach them that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful to, therefore to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey. This is God's word. <clears throat> so one of the most ridiculous bosses of all time was asked the question, would you rather be feared or loved? His response, that's easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. 
I've wanted to share that blessed quote with you for so many years, so many years. And I didn't know if at the nine o'clock it would land. And I'm still not sure if it did. But what I want to do for the next 30 minutes or so is I want to talk to you about the fear of the Lord, about the fear of God. And three questions, we're going to explore three questions related to the fear of the Lord today. What is it? What does it bring? And how do we keep it? And to keep this from sort of merely being a theological abstraction, along the way I'm gonna introduce you to people, to real people that have learned and are learning to walk in the fear of the Lord. So the context of our passage here is that God's people are on the plains of Moab and they are preparing, or I think we ought to say they are being prepared to step into the promises of God. And Moses speaks to this new generation. He's reminding them of the revelation of God to their forefathers at Mount Sinai when God gave them his instruction. And what God gave them and what we've been looking at the past couple weeks is the Decalogue or the 10 words. And in this text that we just read through today, which we'll kind of work through together, we see a threefold dialogue Well, first we hear that the people, God's people speak and respond to what God has revealed to them. And then we're gonna hear God speak in response to them. And then we will also hear God's representative, God's God's man, the mediator, Moses. And he will exhort and instruct the people on how they must now live in light of God's revelation. So God speaks and he reveals the Decalogue to the people, the 10 words. And it's not just to Moses, but it's to all of the people. They actually hear this. And what happens um, is that they are overwhelmed. And I think we could even say they are terrified. The smoke, the fire, the darkness, the swirling clouds, all of it is, is so overwhelming to them that their response is to come to Moses. And this is, what, this is what they say to him in verse 24. They say, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we're gonna die. And so, while God is invisible, he is not inaudible. And the word of his power is so awesome, so glorious, so overwhelming that they're, they're genuinely convinced that if God keeps speaking to them, they won't survive. And so they do what all of us would do if we found ourselves in that kind of an overwhelming situation. They nominate someone else (laughs) to stand in their place, don't they? That's what I would do. I'd be like, I think you should handle it from here. They say, Moses, we're gonna nominate you to hear God's voice and to tell us what to do. But then they say this, and it's really heartfelt. They say, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. And that sort of... Obedience is stirred up by the reality of the awesome presence of God. And so, well, how does God respond? Again, we're just gonna kind of work through the text today. In verse 28, we hear God respond to them. I have heard the words of this people, 
which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants. I wanna draw out something in this text, this response from God today. I wonder, did you notice, as you look at those words, do you notice the tone of their God? Don't let, don't let anyone tell you that the Bible is sort of monotone, or that, that it's just sort of like an atonal, like flat, you know, Wizard of Oz voice kind of moment. God himself has a tone in here, and that, that tone, it's relational, it's fatherly. There's, there's a longing of God as he responds. He responds positively to the people saying, we're gonna need somebody to represent us in this. But there's something in the, in, in the words of Yahweh, their God, that longs that the people would always respond to him this way. And of course we know that they don't always respond to him in this way. And of course we know that we don't always respond to the Lord in this way. So there's a tone there. And it causes us to wonder more, what what actually is the fear of the Lord? We are gonna get, I think, to a bit of an answer of what that actually is. What is the fear of the Lord? Let's talk about what it is. What I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna absolutely blitz you with Bible verses, okay? You don't need to turn there. I'm not gonna turn there. I'm gonna read them on the back screen if in fact it works, okay? I'm not gonna explain these. I'm just gonna read them to you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Next slide. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Next slide. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. This is the last words of the book of Ecclesiastes, the series that we were recently in. It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Lest we think that the fear of the Lord is just sort of an Old Testament concept. Luke chapter one, verse 50 in the song of Mary, she sings, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Therefore, my beloved, in Philippians chapter two, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's a, here's a church growth strategy for you in the book of Acts chapter nine. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church exploded in growth, it multiplied. Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. That was a lot, right? But I wanna ask you this question. How, how does that sound? The fear of the Lord. Does that change sort of a conception or perhaps a misconception of, of what it actually is? Does it, does it sound like sort of morose, sort of drudgery? or blind obedience, or sheer terror? Does it sound like a slave who believes that they will be beat if they don't obey? Does it sound like that? 
Or does it sound like hope and life and joy and peace? Does it sound like blessing? The truth is, is that the answer, the way that you answer that question is based entirely on your relationship with the Lord or lack thereof. So what is the fear of the Lord? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it isn't because I know that some of you are wondering, is is the fear of the Lord sort of um, to be terrified of God? Cue image of a guy about to be struck by lightning, right? That's what we think of when we think of the fear of the Lord or someone hiding under a rock. And I don't want to sort of pacify it. When people encounter God, this is consistent throughout the scriptures, they are always told, don't be afraid. And yet, the fear of the Lord is not simply to be terrified of God. Let me show you something today. Um, Exodus chapter 20, would you turn there? Exodus chapter 20 is sort of the original moment with God's people at the foot of Sinai where he gives them this revelation of his heart and his ways, his instruction in their life. Again, Deuteronomy 5 is Moses preaching that message to the current generation as if it was originally for them. But in Exodus chapter 20, we have the same sort of scenario. God reveals the 10 words to them and the people are overwhelmed. And I want you to see what Moses says here. In verse 18 of chapter 20, it says, now when all, the, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And Moses said, listen to this. Oh, I'm sorry. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Does it sound familiar? It's like what we just read. And Moses says this to the people, do not fear For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. They're terrified. They tremble. They say to Moses, please represent us. Please go and encounter and listen to this God and tell us what to do. And Moses says, I just wanna wanna stay on this for a second. Moses says this, don't be afraid. But but do fear the Lord. That's what we call a paradox. It's, it's a little bit confusing at first because being terrified that God would or could smite you is not the fear of the Lord. And it seems that the fear of the Lord is not related to just sort of a singular experience like this that happens to them. But Moses says, don't be afraid, but do fear the Lord. So what is, it, what, is it, what is it to fear the Lord? I love what Sidney Gradanus said. This is a simple way to think about it. He, he said, to fear God is to take God seriously. How about that? To fear God is to take God seriously. I'll tell you a story. This is a borrowed story. Uh, it comes from Barbara Boyd, who was a leader in a ministry called InterVarsity. And she led many college students to faith in Jesus and in discipleship to Jesus um, from the 1960s and on into the 90s. And she used to tell the story. She used to say, <coughs> excuse me, she used to say that if the distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles, and that distance was represented by like a, like a sheet of paper like this. She said, if that piece of paper represented the distance between the earth and the sun, 
She said, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 miles high. And then she went on to talk about how that's just representative and barely representative of our little galaxy, which is just a small thing in the entire cosmos. And then she said this. She said, if the Bible is right, and the God we are talking about upholds the entire cosmos by the word of his power, isn't it foolish to treat him like he's a consultant? Some of you hire consultants, right? And what do you do the minute they tell you to do something you don't want them to do? You fire them, you find another one. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's to take God seriously, but let's, let's expand on that a little bit. I've been thinking about this a lot this week, and this is where kind of, I guess, I've landed, if you will. But the fear of the Lord is this, the awe-filled and humble disposition of the heart towards God that leads to joyful obedience. I think that's what it is. The awe-filled and humble disposition of the heart toward God that wants to say yes to him. So what does that look like? What does it actually look like in our everyday lives? Here's a question for you. What does it look like in our work? I wanna show you a picture of a person. Do we have it? Do any of you know who this person is? I know you don't. I know that you don't. But this is Jerry Lorenzo. Uh, this is a Christian man named Jerry who is arguably one of the most important living sneaker and fashion designers. Lorenzo has designed sneakers for Nike. He's been the creative director of Adidas Basketball. His own brand, Fear of God, is worn by famous athletes, movie stars, and musicians. His less expensive brand, Essentials, is definitely on your teenage kid's Christmas wish list. Um, if you open your Christmas wish list and it, um, from your teenager and it says, Fear of God, and you think it's a spiritual breakthrough in your teen's life, it's not. It's a $400 hoodie, that's what it is. It's exactly what it is. And uh, yeah. But Jerry, this wonderful follower of Jesus is the designer of that very expensive hoodie. Maybe you should buy, I don't know, it's up to you. But the designer of that hoodie is Jerry and he actually designs those hoodies because he loves Jesus. And he has a seat at the table of influence in the creative market. And the question is why? Well, I think Adidas would tell you that he's there because he's really good. But Jerry would say he's there because he fears God. He gets asked in magazines like GQ, Esquire, and the New York Times about why he would name a fashion brand fear of God when Christianity has so much negative perception in that market. He said this, he said, naming it fear of God just gave me the necessary gas and purpose to design because it's about reverence for a higher being. He said, I love the name because you can look at it two different ways. It could be fear of God if you're not in relationship with God, or it could be reverence for God if you are in relationship with him. I think the way that the individual interprets it, interprets it says more about the individual than the brand. Some people look at it and they're super inspired by the message. Some people look at it and don't think about it. And some people look at it and question it. And a conversation starts. Lorenzo Wall, can you even read that? I don't know. 
Lorenzo often says that his brand is, it's not a Christian clothing brand. He's not using Christian slogan for profit. Think early 2000s, Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. But he is compelled by obedience to God to represent him well in the places God has called him to. What is that? That's the fear of the Lord. And I'm not suggesting that you, you know, change the name of your lumber company to the fear of God or your real estate company or whatever. But that's a heart disposition toward God that wants to say yes to what he's calling us into. Throughout the scriptures, when we hear the theme, the fear of the Lord, it is always, it is constantly connected to this sort of sister theme of obedience. Let's turn back in, um, to our text in Deuteronomy chapter five. I wanna to talk to you for just a minute about Hebrew poetry. In verse 29 of chapter five, God longs that the people would have this heart to, to fear and to keep. Now in Hebrew poetry, what will happen a lot of times if there's two lines, the second line is a recapitulation of the first. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, it is to keep his commands. It's about obedience, not drudgery, not simply duty, but something far greater than that. It's a joyful and humble disposition of the heart that says yes to all that God is and to all that God requires. So if the fear of the Lord is the disposition of the heart toward God, well then its expression comes through obedience. Out of our obedience, we express what's actually going on in our hearts. That's what it is, the fear of the Lord. It's that heartfelt posture of awe in reverence at the majesty and glory of God that responds to all that he is and all that he does with a joyful yes. That's what it is. But the wonderful thing about the fear of the Lord is it's not just good for God. It's actually good for you. So let's talk about what, what, what it brings into our life. What does the fear of the Lord bring into our life? It's gonna bring something into your life. Right there in the middle of the passage, can we put verse 29 up again from chapter five? The Lord longs that the people would fear and keep his commandments. But here, here's a why for you. He says that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. What does the fear of the Lord bring? Is there a positive sort of motivation for it? Well, yes, God himself wants to sort of just pour out blessing in their life. God goes on to say this. Let's skip down to verse 33 in God's commandment. He says this, he says, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. This is a threefold blessing of God that comes to the people. This is, again, this, this is not like sad, I guess I gotta fear the Lord. This is not terror, maybe God's gonna smite me. This is a threefold blessing that God pours out on his people. It goes like this, you will live and you will live well and you will live long in God's blessing. How's that for motivation? That's not a televangelist right there. That's not a prosperity gospel preacher right there. That's God himself. 
And then God's representative, his messenger, his man, Moses says the exact same thing in verses, in chapter six and verse three, Moses essentially says this, he says to fear the Lord. And then in verse three, he says, be careful to do all the commands that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Is it good to fear the Lord? Is it good for your life? You betcha. So this is a particular promise to a particular people in a particular time and place. But I need to tell you something today. This is a biblical principle that you can bank your life on. If you fear God and obey him in all his ways, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. So at this point in a Bible preaching church like ours, I'm tempted to now give you a bunch of disclaimers, right? I'm tempted to say, hey, this is a lot different than the televangelist claiming that you will be rich, that all of your diseases will be healed, that all of your ventures will go well, that your children will speak highly to you and of you when you're not there and kind of lower your expectations. But I don't want to do that today. Why would I do that? because someone has used that message for profit, it's a promise of God. When you fear the Lord and obey him, he promises to bless you, full stop. He will, it's going to happen. Some of you, I wanna talk to some of you right now. Some of you right now are praying on your knees for an unbelieving spouse. God is going to bless that. Some of you are rallying your community to pray for a wandering child. Well, God is going to bless that. Some of you are doing everything you can to represent Jesus well in your place of work. He will bless that. You're trusting God with your finances. He will bless that. But we, like all of God's people, struggle to grasp what it actually means to be blessed, don't we? How did Jesus describe those who were blessed? What did he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or heirs of the most high God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and take him seriously. It will go well with them. It will. The fear of the Lord brings blessing into your life. Well, here's a question that many of you are asking. What about suffering? What if I fear the Lord and suffering comes into my life? I'd like to talk to you about another person who was very important in my life. This is a person that was a dear friend to many of us. Ellie Hotsey was a part of our church for years and she was brought into our church community by cancer, which she experienced twice in her life. The first time she experienced cancer, she told me this. She said, the first time I had cancer, I was absolutely terrified. She was not in relationship with Jesus and her diagnosis was something to the effect of you will have four to six months to live. And she was afraid. She told me this, she said, I was terrified that I would lose everything if I died. 
my relationships, my business, my hobbies. Death meant that I would lose everything. And that fear drove her to a desperate place. And God faithfully and graciously met her there and he saved her soul and he healed her body. It was miraculous, it was amazing. We baptized her right there. One of the, one of the great moments in our church. But what happened was that years later, years later, cancer came back. And I got the privilege to walk with Ellie in that season of her life before she went home to be with Jesus. And have you ever, have you ever been with someone who suffers but has the fear of the Lord? Have you ever gotten that gift? It's a profound thing. It was near the end of her life that I asked her this question one time. I said, I said, Ellie, what is it like? What is it like to battle cancer, to fight cancer right now in your life? And uh, she laughed at me out loud. And uh, I've, I've told this story before, but many of you are new and all of us are forgetful and it's just, just too good. I want to share this. But she laughed at me. She said, I, I do not fight cancer. She said, this is not a battle. She said, I would never use that language anymore to describe my relationship with this illness. She said, I treat cancer. But now, now, now I know that my days are numbered by the God of the universe. So why in the world would I describe this part of the journey as a battle, as a fight to stay alive when he already knows? She said, I have no fear of death now. Do you know what that is? That's blessing. That's living. That's living well. And I promise you, she is more alive than any of us today. How does that happen? How do you get that? It's the fear of the Lord. Some of you today, I want to talk to, I want to, talk to two groups of people today. <clears throat> Some of you today are and have been terrified of God. That he's out to get you. That he is ready to smite you. And that is not the fear of the Lord. That is not the awe-filled and humble disposition of the heart that's simply ready to say yes to God, to the God who loves you and wants to pour out blessing in your life. That's not the same thing. And I hope for, if that's you, that this message has, has been a correction, has been sort of a dispelling of that lie which comes from the pit of hell. But there are others of you here today, and I wanna to talk to you as well. There are others of you today who have no fear of the Lord. You have no fear of the Lord. And that is why you are terrified of many things in your life. Because you don't have the fear of the Lord, you live in a constant state of anxiety of the worst possible things happening. And I want to be really careful. I want to be kind as I speak to you right now. But I also want to be clear. One of the best things that can happen to you in your emotional well-being is to gain the fear of the Lord. And a way to get at that, whether you have the fear of the Lord, is to ask this question and to ask it quite regularly. What am I trusting in? What are you trusting in? The answer to that question is answered by whatever your fear is. 
If you're placing your trust in your reputation, your power, your job, your relationships, your sense of security, or anything like that, then you will live in a constant state of fear management, trying to build a fence around your life. You'll call it boundaries, you will call it stewardship, you'll blame it on your Enneagram number, you'll do whatever you can to explain it away. But really what at the heart of it is, is that you don't fear God. The late Tim Keller, whose life on earth ended by cancer, and of course we cannot finish a sermon without talking about Tim Keller, but he used to say this. He said this, he says, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, then God is merely an abstraction. I want you to hear me here. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, then God is merely an abstraction. And the driving thing in your life is fear of all the possible outcomes that may enter into your life. God's an abstraction, but the worst, the thing that I could lose is this relationship. The most present thing in your life is, is I could lose my job. And that, that, that's the most present fear in your life. And that means that God is simply an abstraction. But Tim said this, he says, if you have the fear of the Lord, that actually flips. If you have the fear of the Lord, then all those other fears and anxieties merely become an abstraction. You could lose your job, but you would still have the one thing that you can't lose, God himself. You could lose a key relationship in your life, but you would still have the one thing, and that's God himself. You could lose your reputation or your standing in the community, but you would still be able to stand before the God of the universe, trusting that his son has set you free and made you righteous. You tracking with me? How much of our life is ruled by anxiety and fear and what ifs? And to be really clear, I'm telling you that the answer to that, the remedy for that is the fear of the Lord. It's a gift. Charles Spurgeon once said this, it is a blessed fear which drives us to trust. So that's what fear of the Lord is, that awe-filled, humble response to God. And we begin to recognize that it's actually God's blessing in our life, but what I wanna do is I'm gonna invite the band up right now. So we'll prepare to respond to the Lord today, but I wanna answer this last question. How do we keep the fear of the Lord? How do we keep it? We saw it, like, you can experience the fear of the Lord in a singular moment, but how do we keep it? How do we stay in it? How do we stay connected to God? Well, I think that there's something that we learn from the people in the way that they respond to the majesty of God. They understand as they witness God's greatness and majesty, they begin to understand that there is brokenness between them and their relationship to that great and awesome God. And who do they look to? They look to Moses. It's not just, it's, it's, not, it's not a negative thing. There's something in them that says, we're gonna need somebody to be our go-between. We're gonna need a third party here to represent us to God, but also to hear the word of the Lord and speak it into our lives. You with me? They say, we're gonna need someone to come and 
and constantly remind us of who God is, his character, his ways, his love, his awesome power. I say, we're gonna need someone to do that. The truth is, is that that was Moses' assignment and what, a, what an amazing assignment that is. And uh, the truth is though, is that he was a sinful and broken man, just like the people that he represented. The book of Hebrews, I wanna put a verse up for you. The book of Hebrews consistently draws out this sort of comparison, if you will. It's called typology, which doesn't matter, but between Jesus and Moses. And it describes Jesus as a mediator. One who could bring the word of God, not just to people's minds, but into their hearts. More than that, he could change their hearts so that they could begin to receive it in joy and awe and humility. Hebrews describes Jesus as a truer and better Moses. It says this, therefore he is the mediator, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What's he talking about? He's talking about Deuteronomy 5. He's talking about how Jesus is able to do far more than Moses was able to do. He is able to keep us in the fear of the Lord. How do you keep the fear of the Lord? You apprentice under his son, Jesus. You become his disciple. Did Jesus have the fear of the Lord? He absolutely had the fear of the Lord. He said, I don't do anything that I don't hear my father instruct me to do. He was able to hear the instruction of his heavenly father and walk in obedience by the power of the spirit. And you want that. That's what you want. And it's possible. It can happen. It's happening even right now. So we put our faith and trust in our great mediator, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We bless you. We fear you. We ask that you would help to keep us in the fear of the Lord. Help us to know that as we stay, as we remain in that by your power, by your spirit, that you're transforming us to love obedience, to look at and listen to your ways. We just want to become a people that say yes to you. In this season, in the season of Advent, Lord, we want to say yes to you. Yes to who you are. Yes to what you ask for in our lives. Would you help us to do that today? Would you lead us in the way? We love you. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.